Blog Talk Radio. When you think about your salvation, beloved, there's only one direction you can go with your thanksgiving, and that's toward God. He chose us in Christ before the world was made. So it's all of His will. It's all of His purpose. It has nothing to do with us, and it's all for His glory.
Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. It's an age-old question. When you become a Christian, is it because you chose Christ or because Christ chose you? How much depends on you and how much depends on God where your salvation is concerned? Well, if you have questions about the doctrine of election, today's broadcast may help clear them up as John begins one of his best-known studies, one that helps you understand what it means to be truly saved. It's titled, The Gospel According to Jesus. And now, before the lesson, John, just a few days ago, the staff at Grace to You came back after the holidays, and while we were gone, more than a few pieces of mail poured into our office. John, I know those stacks of mail are always encouraging to you and to our staff, They represent so many people who love God's truth, so many people who have become partners with us in ministry. Yeah, it's sort of like our uh, post-Christmas Christmas. It is. When we come in and we unwrap all the mail. uh, And the first thing that always strikes us is the very, very generous giving that people have done at the year end. Um, No matter what we might anticipate, it always seems like it exceeds what we anticipate. And it it launches us into the new year with hopes that we can do everything that the Lord has laid upon our hearts. And then obviously it's the letters, the cards, the the, the emails, the notes from people along with the gifts that tell us how much this ministry has meant to their lives. Uh, Yeah, each one of those represents a life. I I recently had a conversation with you in which you said that uh, somebody asked you, what do people normally say to you when they meet you, uh, listeners to the radio broadcast? And you said the first thing they say is, uh, feel like we know you. Yeah, that that is the very common phrase. I feel like I know you. And I always respond the same way. Well, you do. There's really nothing more to know. The best thing you could know about me is my love for the Word of God. But I, I think they do know me because there's not just the teaching of the Word of God, but I hope they hear it as the passion of my heart. Right the intensity of my heart. And and I think that's what defines me, and I love it when people recognize that. And and they show their love for the truth, typically at the year end. We know the people that give to this ministry love the Word of God, written and incarnate. We know they believe in its power to transform lives. We know they believe in the Great Commission to take it to the ends of the earth. We know they depend on uh, the nourishment from the Word of God that we provide for them. And they identify with our mission of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. And that's why they give. And again, the generosity has frankly been staggering and amazing outpouring of love and trust from the people of God. And it's not only an expression of love, it's kind of a mandate for us to continue doing what we're doing. You know, you're saying, keep it up, keep it up. And you've done well, and, and we want you to keep the Word of God coming. So thank you so much for your investment in this work Stay with us in your prayers. Be a regular in listening and growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Be effective in your Christian life, both in your church and the world around you. And may the Lord give you the greatest year ever in His grace. Absolutely. And again, friend, from all of us at Grace to You, thank you. Your generosity, your partnership with us is going to help us take verse-by-verse Bible teaching to God's people all over the world in 2019. And now to begin today's lesson, here's John looking at the gospel according to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, and I invite you to turn there in your Bible, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. 
This great paean of praise from the heart of the Apostle Paul is not a cool documentation of some theological argument. It is the passion and overflow of his own thankful heart. What dominates this wonderful section of Scripture is the idea that God has brought about salvation by His own will and His own purpose and His own design and to the praise of His own glory. In verses 5, 9, and 11, salvation is ascribed to His will. In verses 6 and 7, it is ascribed to His grace. Again in verse 7, to His blood. In verse 4, to His love. In verse 9, to his good intention. In verse 11, to his purpose. And in verses 12 and 14, to the praise of his glory. Every aspect of salvation is the work of God. But you will notice here that that work is mediated through Christ. In verse 4, it says it is in him, meaning Christ. In verse 5, it says it is through Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it says it is in the Beloved One, meaning Christ. In verse 7, in Him, meaning Christ. In verse 9, purposed in Him, meaning Christ. In verses 10 and 11, in Him, referring to Christ. In verse 12, in Christ. In verse 13, twice, in Him, again referring to Christ. Our salvation is solely and only and wholly the work of God, but through Christ it is wrought and also with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 notes that we have been sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, the guarantee of the full and future redemption of God's own possession. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are given all the credit for salvation. And thus theirs is all the praise. Let me remind you that every element in salvation is the work of God. And let me remind you by using the words of the Holy Spirit-inspired writer Paul. First of all, would you notice verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul is there saying the one deserving all the credit is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is praise to God, praise ascribed to God the Father for what He has done. And what has He done? Number one, He chose us. Look at verse 4. He chose us to be made holy in Christ. He chose us to become blameless in Christ. Secondly, He predestined us, verse 5. It says it. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. His will, His intention, His purpose determined our destiny. That's what predestined means. God in eternity past chose you for a destiny, and that destiny was to become his child. Now, to make that possible, we come to a third reality here. He graced us. The plan, the choice, the predestination was activated in reality through his grace. Verse 6, 
to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved One who is Christ. Fourthly, notice what He did. He redeemed us, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. He redeemed us. What does it mean to redeem? To buy back. What did He do to buy us? Well, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to death and hell and Satan and demons. We were slaves to the fallen flesh. And there we were in the slave market. And He came to the slave market and He bought us. Worthless, wretched, vile, rotten, darkened, hopeless, with minds that could never know God and hearts that could never seek righteousness. And all our desire was lust and evil. And we were unworthy. And He came and bought us. Why? Because He chose us. Because He predestined us. Because He was wanting to grace us with grace. You say, why did He want to do that? I don't know. He just did. That was His will. That was His purpose. That was His good pleasure. How did He redeem us? Through His blood? He paid the price. The wages of sin is death. The price of redemption is shed blood. And he paid that price. It was not easy to pay that price. He had to take on human form, come into the world, die on a cross, pour out his blood as a sacrifice for sin. But he paid the price to buy us back. That's why the blood of Christ is precious. That's why Peter says, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Sure, it's precious. It's also praiseworthy. That's why in Revelation 5, it says, And they sang a new song, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. No wonder the hosts of heaven are praising him. His blood is precious. His blood is praiseworthy. It was the price of our redemption. It was the shedding of blood and sacrificial death that allowed Christ to buy us out of sin's slave market and bring us into His holy presence. And no longer are we the slaves of sin, we are the slaves of God. And that redemptive work made it possible for Him to do something else. Once He had bought us out of the slave market, fifthly, Paul says, He forgave us. Oh, blessing. Verse 7. He provided the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. He forgave us. He bought us out of the slave market not to say, well, I'm going to hold all that against you. I've done you a big favor, but don't think you're going to get away with anything in the future. No, no, no. He bought us out of the slave market and forgave us. Jesus, at the time when He was instituting His table in Matthew 26, 28, said, this is my blood of the New Testament when he held up the cup, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. He forgave us. Forgiveness, a fee of me to send away, never to return. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He buried them in the depths of the sea. He remembers them no more. No wonder Micah says, who is a pardoning God like you? Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Ephesians 4.32, Colossians 2.13 says, We are forgiven. 1 John 2.12, My little children, He has forgiven all your sins for His namesake. How could He do that? Through His grace, through the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. It took a lot of grace, 
a lot of grace because we had a lot of sin. In fact, according to the parable of Matthew 18, we have an unpayable debt, almost an uncountable debt, an indescribable debt. To whom do you owe your salvation? You owe it to the God who chose you. You owe it to the God who predestined you. You owe it to the God who redeemed you, the God who forgave you, the God who wanted you to be his own because he wanted you to be his own and doesn't give any other reason, even though we're so unworthy. And now he has even gone beyond that. Now that we are his children, he enlightened us. He enlightened us. Look at verse 8 and following. In the middle of the verse it says, In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. He even gave us a view of an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Can you imagine that? He told us all about his will clear on out to eternity. We know all about the administration of the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ, the glory to come, the millennium, the eternal state, how everything in heaven and everything in earth will be brought together in Christ to His praise. He enlightened us. He gave us wisdom in eternal things. He gave us prudence in earthly things. And He showed us His plan all the way to the end in the Word. He let us in on the whole thing. He gave us not only the Word, but He gave us a resident truth teacher. He gave us His Holy Spirit so that we don't need men to teach us because we have a teacher from God. He gave us His Spirit so that we know the mind of Christ, so that we know the plan of God. How absolutely blessed we are. The things that the world doesn't see, we see. The things that the world doesn't understand, we understand. The things that the world can't know, we know. But we have received not the spirit of the world, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.12, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Isn't it wonderful? He enlightened us. We were blinded by the God of this world. We were in darkness and sin and death and could not know God or anything about Him, could not understand Him. And He enlightened us. Why did He do that? He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him because He wanted to. It was His plan, His pleasure, His joy that we would know Him and all about His plan. Seventhly, He promised us an inheritance. Verse 11, In Him, the end of verse 10, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And he repeats that it all belongs to God. The will was God's. The purpose was God's. The good intention was God's. And the glory is God's. And He gave us an inheritance because He predestined us to be His children and His children were to receive His inheritance. He promised us an inheritance. And how secure is your inheritance? Eighth, notice, He sealed us. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge or a guarantee of our inheritance, with a view looking forward to the redemption of God's own possession, that's us, to the praise of his glory. He sealed us. Sealing something in ancient times was a sign of ownership, a sign of security, a sign of authenticity, and a sign of a completed transaction. When we are saved, He sealed us 
How? Gave us His Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling in a believer is a sign that God owns that believer, a sign that that believer is secure, a sign that that believer is authentic, a sign that that believer has received a completed transaction. He secures us, authenticates us, completes us, and owns us. We are His own possession, verse 14 says. And the indwelling Spirit is the guarantee that someday we'll experience the fullness of what that means. Marvelous. We wait for the full redemption, Romans 8 says, but we're sealed until that day. Now listen carefully. Let me draw this together for you. When you think about your salvation, beloved, there's only one direction you can go with your thanksgiving, and that's toward God. He chose us in Christ before the world was made. So it's all of His will. It's all of His purpose. It has nothing to do with us, and it's all for His glory. He then predestined us through Christ purely on the basis of His love for His own good pleasure based solely on His will to make us His children for His glory. And then He graced us, which means there was no merit on our part. It wasn't 99% God and 1% us. It wasn't 99.9% God and 0.1% us. It was all God and none of us. It was freely given, he says, freely given. And that brings all the praise and all the glory to him. He redeemed us. That is, he provided for and paid the price for our sins and granted to us freedom from bondage in sin and death according to the riches of his unmerited grace, which gives him all the glory. And then he forgave us. Having paid the price, He then freely forgave us all our sins based on nothing which we had done, again giving Himself all the glory and all the praise. Then He enlightened us. He revealed His will to us, which we would otherwise never have known nor ever been able to discover. All the glory for His self-disclosure then belongs to Him. And then He gave us an inheritance, an inheritance which we could not earn so that all the praise is His. He gave it because He predestined us for it, because He purposed us for it, because He willed it for us. And then He sealed us. He provided security. If it weren't for that, we'd default. We'd fail. But He secures us. And so all the praise is His. So what about us? Don't we do anything? We just stand around till He does it? Notice, please. Verses 12 and 13, two things are mentioned, and only two and almost offhandedly. It says in verse 12 that we were the first to hope in Christ. And in verse 13, it says, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Hope in Christ, believing the gospel. That's our part. Well, you say, no, wait a minute. You just said that it was all God. Well, that's our response to the work of God. But listen carefully. Even that is generated by God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Even that is not of yourselves, but it is the what? Gift of God. It is God who gives you the power to hope in Christ. It is God who opens your ears to hear the message of the truth, to hear the gospel of salvation and believe that too is a gift. 
It's all of Him. It's all energized by the Holy Spirit. You can't hope in Christ without the Holy Spirit generating that hope. You can't believe in Christ without the Holy Spirit generating that faith. So, for what part of our salvation do we deserve praise? None. Absolutely none. The whole human race is on its way to hell. And they will be damned to hell because of unbelief. They are condemned, Jesus said in John 3, because they believe not. But God in sovereign grace has chosen to save those he has set his love upon. And he picks them up out of the stream of men cascading into hell. What a blessed truth. What a humbling truth. What a pride-smashing truth. We are all saved by His grace. Can we thank Him enough? Why us? Why us? No wonder verse 3 says what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The blessing belongs to Him. The glory belongs to Him. The praise belongs to Him. That's Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Today he began a study titled The Gospel According to Jesus. And now, turning the corner a bit, a reminder that even though we're already a few days into 2019, this is still a great time to build a habit of regular Bible reading all year. The MacArthur Daily Bible can help you with that. So order the Daily Bible when you contact us today. Call toll-free 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. The MacArthur Daily Bible will take you verse by verse through the entire Bible in a year's time. Each day it gives you a measured portion of Scripture to read from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and from the Psalms and Proverbs. Plus, it includes notes from John to help you get more out of God's Word. Again, to order the Daily Bible, call 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. And if you'd like to download all six lessons of our current study, The Gospel According to Jesus, to your smartphone or your tablet, those sermons are free of charge at gty.org. In fact, all of John's sermons, more than 3,400 of them total, they're all there available for free. So to listen to or download or read the transcripts of any of John's sermons, go to gty.org. And now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm your host, Phil Johnson, inviting you back a week from now. John's going to examine the nature of saving faith. See how faith should transform your life when John continues his study, The Gospel According to Jesus. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You Weekend. Watch
Gender on a spectrum? This is Ken Ham, and our ministry is defending the Bible's accuracy from its very first verse. Our culture today is very confused about gender. Many people in the West don't believe we're created male and female. Instead, they've accepted the anti-scientific idea that gender is supposedly on a spectrum. In this kind of thinking, people can fall anywhere on this spectrum based on how they feel. But as Christians, we need to look at what God's Word says. To get answers about gender, we need to start at the beginning, in Genesis. And Genesis tells us we're created male and female in the image of God. The Bible provides no support that gender is on a spectrum. This false thinking goes against our design and will only hurt people. Get answers to the hot-button questions of our day when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped to think biblically and share the truth with others at AnswersRadio.com.
Agenda, a social construct? This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine, Answers. Since the sexual revolution of the 60s, there's been a push going on to redefine gender as nothing more than a construct which society invented. And it's been pressed upon us. They say that men and women are not different from one another, but that culture treats them differently, thus holding back society, especially women. Now they call this oppression, but God's word teaches us that we were created male and female. God uniquely designed humans as one of two genders. These genders are equal in importance, but different from one another. And scientific studies have shown, and parents can confirm, boys and girls are different. There's so much more to discover when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Be encouraged with biblical worldview teaching on science and culture at AnswersRadio.com. The universe proclaims the 
glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide. Based on feelings? This is Ken Ham, head of the evangelistic apologetics ministry of Answers in Genesis. People are increasingly redefining gender as something separate from biological sex. Many LGBT activists and others will say biological sex refers to anatomy and that gender refers to whether you feel male, female or something in between. So gender is believed to be something subjective based on feelings. But this kind of thinking doesn't find any support in God's word. Scripture teaches we're created male and female. And this didn't change with sin. After sin entered creation, we're still told that God created us distinctly male and female. Of course, sin affected how humans view every area. So nothing is straightforward anymore. Does your thinking reflect God's word or the culture around us? Discover a biblical perspective on hot-button issues in our culture when you visit us at our website, AnswersRadio.com.
of God's Word. All this week we've been looking at gender and what the Bible says about us being created male and female. Now yesterday we learned the Bible teaches that even in a sin-cursed world we're still created male and female. But in a world broken by sin, nothing straightforward. Sometimes genetic and anatomical anomalies result in problems. But these sad cases are very rare and they can't be used to support the popular idea that gender's on a spectrum. And in our sin-cursed world, some people will genuinely struggle with gender issues. They deserve our compassion, but they need to know the truth from God's Word. We're designed by our Creator to be male and female. There's much more to discover when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Find a transcript of this program and many others like it when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful 
mean by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You said Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the All of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies Still you pursue relentlessly At times I wonder how this can be Surely it's because of the cross Where Jesus paid the full penalty And bore the burden of sin's great cost I'm saved by grace and faith in God I look to Christ and I trust he died So even though I'm being sanctified I can't be any more justified His work is finished that cannot change And with this knowledge I am free Forever this grace it will remain Because of what happened on Calvary As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Jesus, the hope for all. This is Ken Ham, author, speaker and blogger on science and the Bible's reliability. God's word's clear that we're created male and female. But in a world affected by sin's curse, some people genuinely struggle with gender issues. What should we say to those who are struggling? Well, the gospel is the hope they need. It tells us our sins can be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us power over sin through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the gospel reminds us we won't always bear our afflictions and struggles. The Apostle Paul tells us the glory that's coming for those who trust in Christ is so wonderful it will completely outweigh the struggles of today. No matter the struggle, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged on our website, AnswersRadio.com. Victory 
resolutions, we'll consider these words from Jonathan Edwards, resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt of the love of God and to direct all my forces against it to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. After afflictions, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. Or how about this from Charles Spurgeon? I wish, my brothers and sisters, during this year you may live nearer to Christ than you have ever done before. Depend on it. It is when we think much of Christ that we think little of ourselves, little of our troubles, and little of the doubts and fears that surround us. Or this from Thomas Manton. Great resolutions are always vain unless joined with the consideration of our own weakness. The people of God have promised much, but always it is with the concurrence of Christ. The Apostle saith, Philippians 4.13, I can or will do all things, but it is through Christ. And recognize these resolutions aren't just good for the new year. They are lifelong resolutions. Let us resolve to trust the Lord with all our heart and in all our ways acknowledge him. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps when we understand the text. That is when we understand text and known as WWTT or what on the YouTube and also on their website www.tt.com www.tt.com you find out more down there and I'm going to play next for you this is from Wretched Radio and this is Todd Frio with Repentance is not I repeat not a work There's a fair amount of hot-button issues in evangelicalism. Perhaps the hottest subject, the definition of repentance. You see, the transliterated word for repent, metanoia from Greek, is to change mind. And some people say that's all repentance means, just change your mind. You used to think this, now you think that, and that's good enough. Is it? Let me ask you, if your spouse committed adultery against you, which is what we do against God, and your spouse returned and said, I just want you to know, dear, that I've changed my mind about you. But listen, i got to go because I've got my lover waiting for me in a motel room. You'd go, time out here. If you really are sorry for what you've done, you're going to stop doing that, and you're going to feel kind of rotten about it. Not so weird in Assyria that when Jonah preached to them, they got ashes and sackcloth and put them on their animals. Right? I mean, if you like us repenting and feeling so bad about our sin, we're going to go out and just cover our cars with dirt. It's just, ah, it's just terrible. We're sinful. I just wonder if you had that encounter with your own sin. So, professing Christian, have you poured dirt? All over your home? Don't worry, that is not necessarily a part of repentance. This was an Assyrian custom. It was an external act to demonstrate an inward work. On the inside, they felt rotten about their sin, and they wanted to express it externally. So they dumped ashes on their animals? 
the Old Testament consistently talks about turning from sin, not just changing one's mind. But if you really want to stick to your guns and say, metanoia, there's nothing but a change of mind, then let's define mind. Is your mind biblically merely going, yep, that's right, no, that's not what we see in the Bible. We see in the Bible that the mind encompasses everything about us, our will, our affections, our emotions. It's all encompassing. The mind is basically you, everything about you. Metanoia, to change mind, means to change everything, including what you are doing There are, however, some people who would say, no, 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 this whole stop sinning business, that's a work. No, it's not. Have you ever been driving down the freeway doing 55, which, frankly, nobody in Atlanta does? You you go as fast as you possibly can. But let's just say you're a law keeper, you're doing 55, and you look into your rearview mirror and you see the blue lights are flashing. The police officer pulls you over, approaches your car as you roll down the window and hopefully put your hands on the door because that's a kindness to police officers who risk life and limb every single day. And he says to you, I just want you to know, I'm writing you a check. The government wants to reward you for not speeding. Unlikely? No, frankly, that's ridiculous. And so it is to think that somehow stopping sinning is worthy of reward, that somehow that is to work our way into heaven. That is not what repentance actually accomplishes. It is simply the right response to wrong activities. Consider the man who has had an affair on his wife. He is convicted. He really feels rotten about it. On his hands and knees, he goes crawling back to his missus, rings the doorbell. The neighbors are all watching because, let's be honest, we all have a little Mrs. Kravitz in us. And he weeps and he sobs and he apologizes to his wife. He begs for her mercy. And guess what? She grants it. Would any of the Mrs. Kravitzes? Look at that and go, he sure did earn that. That absolutely was the right response. And he deserves to be forgiven because look at how he's changed his mind. No, repentance doesn't earn anything. It is the right response to wrong living. May I ask you a question? Have you repented in that fashion? I'm I'm just going to ask you to do what the Bible encourages us to do. To examine ourselves. You examine you, I examine me. And if decades ago I had examined myself, I'll tell you what I would have seen. I would have seen a false convert. Why? Because I had never repented. Have you? Yeah, or from Wretched, and you can find out. On their website, wretched.org, W-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, wretched.org. And also, I got that from YouTube, so you can see it on YouTube also, as wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, that's their channel. And let's see, all I'm going to do for you is play Blessed Assurance. This is Go Fish. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is. 
fishing and caught a large fish. At that, the next meeting, he told his story and was honored for his catch. He was told that that he had a special gift of fishing. He was scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell everyone how he did. With all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of fish directors, Jake no longer had time to go fishing, but soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again, so he canceled speaking and he resigned from the board and said to a friend, hey, let's go fishing. And that's exactly what the two of them did. Lo and behold, they caught a fish. The members of the fishermen fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishermen were few. In Mark 1:17, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When it comes to evangelism, are you a fisherman who doesn't fish? If that's the case, don't be afraid to follow Jesus. You can trust him. He will make you a fisher of men. Real Easy presents an illustration about evangelism for Christians everywhere. Taken from the Way to Master Season 4. Mission Europe prompt, and that was from, once again from LibertyWatersDownUnder.com, the parable of the fishless fisherman fellowship. If, let's see, and um, what I'm gonna do next for you is I'm gonna play another thing from Wretched. This is called "False Teaching Is Not Nice; It's Cruel." Here on Tributary. False teaching. It's not nice. Example number one. Recently, an email hit my inbox at idea at wretched.org. You can send whatever you want to, unless, of course, you use potty words. Don't send those, but send anything you want to, a sermon, a good story, a bad story, an inquiry, questions, comments, conundrums, snarks, or a heartbreaking story. I just heard from a young man whose 14-month-old son has cerebral palsy. His in-laws happen to be a part of the word faith movement. You speak it. Your words are containers. You stuff them with your faith, and then it's going to happen. A part of the word faith teaching is if you speak words of healing, words of prosperity, you're going to be healthy and rich. That demonstrated itself to be a cruel teaching. His in-laws, who are a part of that movement, keep telling him, ah, 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 don't say that your son has cerebral palsy, because that way he won't get healed. What? Hold on, it gets worse. Furthermore, said the in-laws, the reason that your son has cerebral palsy is because you do not have enough faith. I would dare you to try to think of anything more cruel than that. Uh, there are lots of cruel things. I can't come up with something greater. Blaming the parents for their child's disease because they don't have enough faith? How wicked is that? Example number two, that false teaching is not nice, is the 
phenomenal false conversion rate that we have in Western civilization. I, whatever poll you want to look at, Lifeway, Barna, Pew Research, Gallup, all indicates the same thing. Ligonier just did a poll. And while most of the country professes to believe in God, to even being Christian, they don't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, this whole propitiatory work on the cross, the Bible, it has mistakes. There's other ways to get to God. In other words, these people have such bad theology, they, they can't be Christians because they're not believing in the right God. If you think that is a wee bit on the harsh side, consider Jesus' teaching. He blasted this point home. Luke 14, he talks about a parable, a story that is the key to understanding all of the other parables, all of them. It was the parable of the four soils. The disciples, little cloudy on it, Jesus had to explain it. And in doing so, he said, if you don't get this, you're not going to get anything else. What was the four soils parable about? True and false conversions. Seed gets scattered on different types of soils, and because of the cares of the world, sometimes it springs up with joy, but then it withers under the scorching heat of peer pressure, being ostracized, persecution. The seed falls away. But then there's a fourth soil where the seed gets implanted. The roots go down deep, unlike with the other soils, and it produces fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. In other words, the first three that heard the gospel appeared to respond in some sort of profession of faith weren't actually saved. It was only the fourth soil. Jesus kept banging away on this message, talking about wheat and tares, about good fish and rotten fish, and later he talks about wise virgins and foolish virgins. He talked about false conversions a lot. And we are seeing the evangelical church littered with false converts because of bad theology. Why do we see people who once professed to be a Christian? Let's just say maybe they wrote worship music that was very popular and had multiple albums and were well-loved for their beautiful things, their music that they produced. Uh, they were evangelical celebrities. Recently, they came out of the closet and said, you know, on second thought, we're actually atheists now. What just happened? First John 2.19 tells us that those who go out from among us were never a part of us. For if they had been a part of us, they would have never gone out from among us. John heard the parables of the good fish and rotten fish, the wheat and tares, the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the four soils, and he was explaining to us people who make a profession of faith and then backslide into oblivion were never saved in the first place. Why do we see so much of that these days? I think it's because of very poor teaching and a lot of false teaching. And that is why when some people say, well, you know, he really shouldn't be talking about false teachers. It's not very nice. Are you kidding me? The cruelest thing you can do 
is to teach something false about God. People get hurt, that young couple with the 14-month-old boy. They got hurt, and we see all kinds of calamities coming from false teaching. People even die from false teaching because they're told just to have enough faith, and you don't need your chemotherapy. It is cruel in that regard, but perhaps a greater cruelty is leading people astray giving them the impression that they're the fourth soil when they're actually a rotten fish. Yes, I just mixed my parables. Once again, that's from Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. And you can find them also on Wretched.org and also on YouTube. And thanks for sending me with controller here on Trippy Toll Radio. And what I'm going to do is play a song from This is Shy Land. This is called Supreme here on Trippy Toll Radio. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch hats from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed of what conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb and would be executed To execute the plan to substitute the sand In the place of the wicked on the cross he was lifted But we considered him stricken and afflicted Just like the prophets predicted He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent And lay down his life to offer atonement He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient The blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent Difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time But presently present, suspending the heavens with speech From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas Got heavenly hosts easily Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ the priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. We can take any time in the scripture. Put the gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and the diamond in the mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the lost that he found, though. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a short hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope, and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Written on it's spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spell bound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment study the development from
from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sinner sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all. Freedom from the effects of the fall. Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs>
is Go Fish, and there's a song called Saved. Then I found more Go Fish, Go Fish, go to GoFishGuys.com, G-O-F-I-S-H-G-U-I-S dot C-O, GoFishGuys.com. And thanks for reading with Control here on Tributal Radio. Here's another one from Shyland. This is One Day. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp as he tries to grasp what lies in the past. Never to return, what lies in the past? Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over? If I could be like, didn't include dying light. Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike. Nowadays he's known for being all weird. But back in 88, nobody was more feared. At the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it 
The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages of holy writ. Not the cash speech of the reverend, but what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 111. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra. Before your time is done, meet the timeless one. The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade. Never fade. Never fade. Yeah. 
best. Oh, I'll do my best for you. Let's take it back to the foundation. Jesus Christ's impact and his salvation. I'm talking about Calvary where his blood was lost. I'm talking the reality of the rugged cross. I'm talking about death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking about reconciliation and election. Yeah, I'm repetitive because we're slow learners. Just that truth music. I am a sojourner. Reporting to you live from the wilderness. We strive on the pilgrimage. Alive because he's building his tribes in the villages. Revive us in villas with eyes diligent for our rival who Villages. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion But he's surely dying before the Lord is dying Defeat one was the cross, soon comes another loss Trust in Jesus, the ultimate undercover boss Hey yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off You wanna hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn it off You got to turn it off, man, you got to turn it off You want Jesus on the low? Yo, turn this off You want me bragging about my flow? Yo, turn it off You want what's on the radio? Yo, turn this off You got to turn it off, man, you got to turn it off. I know it's been a while since I've been making songs. Some people even say, shy, yo, why you take so long? Sorry if you felt abandoned or hurt, but music took a back seat because we planted a church. How have I been? Thanks for asking. I can't complain. God is good. I've been enjoying my wife, enjoying fatherhood. I'm trying to think long-term sustainable. By God's grace, fruit when I'm gone is still attainable. I want to see new births and bound kids free. What good is making many waves if it tends to fade? I'm trying to produce works that outlive me. So God can use my pen to save when I'm in the grave. Writing this flying over the Atlantic. I just can't help but think about the Titanic. I preach Christ because many without hope will drown. This world is exactly like the boat. It's going down. Hey, yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off. You want to hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off. You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn it off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. You want Jesus on the low? Yo, turn this off. You want me bragging about my flow? Yo, turn this off. You want what's on the radio? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. Hey yo, it feels like the days of Noah. This world is post-Christian, the glory days are over. Cats thirsty for the fame and with sell, so they babble as they try to make a name for themselves. They're shallow with mirth, they try to flex and rebel. But what you swallow on earth will be digested in hell. It's so profound. You joke around, you get broken down by Christ who holds the crown and sees through you like an ultrasound. He's the reason I write a piece of advice. Trust Jesus to Christ, no matter your season of life. Believe God and his promise, serve with fervor. Before he plays the dishonest third shift world. A thief in the night, Jesus the light of the world, he's our delight, the reason that believers are hype, he won't leave us despite our previous life, the deviant type, by God's grace get immediate sight. Hey yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off. You want to hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off. You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. You want Jesus on the low? Yo, turn this off. You want me bragging about my flow? Yo, turn it off. You want what's on the radio? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. Yeah, I mean, shout out to all my Christian soldiers repping Jesus Christ on the front lines. Big Juice, what up? Bless Nazarite, I see you. Yo, Eshan, what up, man? Jackie Hill Perry, keep rapping them, sis. No matter what, keep rapping them. Keep rapping them.
shopping and attack on the end of a Gitsu. She graduated number one and had to give a speech. Uh-huh. What would she say? What would she teach? She knew about God and this was her chance. She could bust a move or be afraid to do the dance. She told the truth and everybody heard. She got brave because she understood. If you want to bear fruit,
Yes, here, friends, at the VIBLE. Here we go. Bye for now.